Welcome to the Fully Equipped Podcast, where we read through the Bible together and help to answer any questions you might have. Welcome back to the Fully Equipped Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Travis. And uh, we missed last week. Um, we were talking about that this morning. Uh, life happens, and we just so happened uh, to be in the middle of life. And so, you know, we've we've missed uh, a week now. We, we missed chapters 11 through 21 on, on the podcast. But if you've been reading, then you've kept up with it and... You know, you've gotten through it, so we're not going to try and go back and cover any of that. We're going to go ahead and start where we where we would start anyway, chapter 22. That's right, and that's what we tell people all the time, that that's going to happen in everybody's life. You're going to, we're going to fall down, we're going to make mistakes, and then just pick up and keep going. So you'll do that where you may miss a couple of days of reading, or you may miss a, uh, a week or so of reading. Don't let that get you down and use that as an excuse to quit. Um just pick it back up and and keep moving forward that's right the kingdom of heaven is like two men who record a podcast and forget a week (laughs) i don't think jesus would have said it that way you're probably right um but yeah we're so we're in chapter 22 uh and we're in the middle of of jesus's ministry of his of his three years walking with the disciples and teaching and we're actually we're actually coming to the end of it by the time we get to here because in chapter uh, let's see chapter twenty one is a triumphal entry so he's riding into Jerusalem uh, he's coming in for the feast of Passover and and this is going to be you know we're winding down and coming to the to the end of this, this is the last big push. Mm-hmm. We see him go in the temple. I think to really understand kind of what we're what we're doing, you know, we need to start there to get the proper context. And so we see him come in, and we see him cleanse the temple. Uh, I'll go off a of memory here, but they were selling sacrifices essentially. Yeah. So what they were doing is they had money changers who would change it from Roman money to uh, temple money uh, because they didn't they wouldn't let you bring. Roman money into the temple because Roman money had the image of Caesar on it who held himself out to be a god and that's blasphemy and but they had a a huge exchange rate where they were making a fortune off of it then they were also selling um, they were selling doves so what people would do is they'd have to travel a long way you're supposed to sacrifice your very best and a lot of times the very best wouldn't make it and so people were going in and they're selling they're telling them that their sacrifice isn't good enough and selling them upselling them on something so they turned it into a money-making scheme and jesus comes in turns the tables over and sits there and fashions a whip and then goes after him yeah drives them out um which I, i would say Making a whip probably took a minute. Yeah, yeah. There's a calm, calculated man right there. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think he was carrying one with him, and so, um, but that gives, that gives us the setup to see where now he's come in. We know that Israel's looking for a Messiah. Uh, we know that's something they've been looking for for quite some time now. The problem was their perspective and what they were looking for, and so when he does these things it begins to anger them. He's messing with their money, their power structure, their prestige, all of that stuff. And so when we get into chapter 22, 
we actually see it start with, uh, in 21, he tells a parable of two sons. He tells the parable of the wicked vine dressers. He tells the parable of the wedding feast. And all of these things are pointing back to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, pointing back to the religious establishment, um, showing how they are, how they're wicked, how they're twisted, how they're wrong. Um, how they're a brood of vipers, as he continues to call them. Yes, it uh, really upsets them. And what's amazing is the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't even get along. But they were united against a common enemy. That's right. Because they both understood that keeping their power for themselves was more important than either one of them or both relinquishing. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of a Republican and Democrats. Republicans and Democrats don't get along on anything at all, but another party tries to come in and do away with that two-party system, and they'll both turn on that one. And we see that start to happen. Um, it's going to ultimately lead, we'll talk about this uh, later on in the week, but it's, that's going to ultimately lead to them having him killed. Right. Yeah, in, in, this, uh, in this chapter here, in chapter 22, we, we already see them trying to trap Jesus in his words. It's, it's one of those things where immediately after they're, you know, kind of being uh, taught against and, and called out for all their stuff, they're... they're right on it you know they're stepping up trying to catch him they just don't get it they keep trying to trap him in his words and yeah he turns he gets them every time yeah he turns around on it he turns it around on them every time uh they ask him about taxes mm-hmm. um which their hope is to, to to prove him wrong because they think they have a foolproof way to trap him when they say that because you know, you've got the Roman government looking down. They're in Jerusalem in force at this time to keep the peace. And so they're, they're seeing this. And so they're looking for him to say, uh, don't pay taxes, which will give them excuse to go to, to the Roman soldiers and try to have him arrested. Or he'd go the other way. And so anyway, um, he turns it around on them and says, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Um, the Sadducees talks about, they want to know about the resurrection, and so they ask him a story about, um, in Deuteronomy, if a, if, a, if a man dies without children, then his widow is to marry the man's brother, and have a child with him, which will then become the man's heir. Will inherit the namesake and all of that, have all the rights of her firstborn. Then any other children she has with the brother after that would be hers and the brother's. Right. Uh, they're, they're telling a story of a man who marries a woman and he passes away. And essentially she marries all six of his brothers down the line as they continue to die. And then she dies and they ask at the resurrection... Whose wife is she? Now, now here's, but here's the better question I have in that. When you get down to brothers six or seven, and every one of your brothers have died when they married this woman before there was a chance to There's have some kids. Fishy stuff going on. That, that's where you have to go. Do I really want to marry this woman? I, you know, may not be her. <laughs> is, my, is my life worth the law? Yeah, yeah. There, there must be some kind of curse or something going on here, but. 
that's neither here nor there. That's a distraction from it. Those are just the odd things that pop into my head. Uh, and, but they're really focused on that. The Sadducees don't believe in a bodily resurrection. Right. They only um, believe they, their scripture is the first five books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. They believe in the Pentateuch. It has, they believe in the other ones. They just don't carry the same weight. Right. And because there's no resurrection that's talked about within the first five books, they give the resurrection no weight. And, and so they, they're trying to trap him in something that basically invalidates the resurrection so that they can be validated. Which apparently has been an argument that's been going on for a while. And so, and without a good answer, because the Pharisees have not been able to provide them, because that's one of the, that's one of the big things they disagreed on. Right. And the Pharisees can't provide them a suitable answer. And so they think they have this one sewn up. Um, and he comes out, <laughs> Jesus comes back. I feel like he comes back pretty hard with this. Telling them not knowing the scripture, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God, because they pride themselves on what they know. Yeah. They pride themselves on their knowledge and their believed revelation. And so when he comes back and go, "You're mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God," he gives them an answer that says, "For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven." But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And they were astonished by his teaching. And went away. And so there we, we see continued um, kind of arguments with, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees against Jesus still continuing to try and trap them. They ask... Uh, whose son the Messiah is? Is he the son of David? And he said to him, uh, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? And so no no one could say a word in reply, it says. Yep. And, and so we we continue to see this from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and it's something that we see kind of all over the place today with the... You know, these arguments that we get in over Scripture, whether or not it's, you know, what sin is worse, this or that, or, you know, should I, you know, should we be doing, should the church be gathering in this way, and is this the right process for my, you know, for us, and is that right for them to be doing, and, you know, a lot of it doesn't matter. When it came down to it, and when it when the law was established in the Old Testament, we had a lot of questions about, uh, the, the law was more a list of things that we don't do. And it was because the things that, that we shouldn't do were dangerous for us. Whether it was for our health or for our spirit, the, the law in the Old Testament was, was about keeping us safe. But when they're asked, about, you know, Jesus is, a, is asked about commandments, which in the Old Testament were other than I'm the Lord your God, which even then that's a commandment to not hold false gods. You know, those those are all thou shalt not. You know, you don't do these things. He gives two commandments, love God, love people. And so when it comes down to it, the gospel is more about our action than about our inaction. We, we, we spend a lot of time, you know, arguing about what's sin, what's not, what's worse for us to be doing when, and we spend less time thinking about how can I be doing? How can I be acting in love? 
Well, and it's, I think it goes a little beyond that as well. Because I think when we talk about that, um, it really comes down to a matter of perspective, a matter of heart, and a matter of intent. Yeah. Um, because when we get into chapter 23, we started to have this discussion earlier. Um, it, it, it's woe to the scribes and Pharisees. He speaks to them. Um, and, you know, he's, he's really kind of coming down on them and then in verse 6 it says they love the best places at feasts the best seats in the synagogues greetings in the marketplaces and to be called by men rabbi rabbi but you do not be called rabbi for one is your teacher the christ and you are all brethren do not call anyone on earth your father for one is your father he who is in heaven and do not be called and do not be called teachers for one is your teacher the christ but he who is the greatest among you shall be your servant, and he and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we look at like the Catholic Church where they call the priests father, father so-and-so. And then you read a scripture like that, and it says don't call anyone father. And, and so you start to question why. When they say rabbi, rabbi is translated teacher, so you shouldn't call anyone teacher. And then that begs the question, so does that mean the Catholic Church is wrong? Well, and this is something that we talked about. Um, it's not about whether or not you're calling someone your teacher, your instructor, your father, anything like that. It's about the fact, and he addresses it before this. They want the best seats at the banquets. They want to, be the, they want to sit in the seats of honor. They like being called teacher. And it's because they like being called that because it is a place of honor. They, they are looking to be exalted. And the kingdom of heaven in all of the parables that we see isn't about someone who's exalting themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, how many times in these parables do we read the kingdom of heaven is like this? And then we're given that we as people who are in the kingdom of heaven are given the place in the story of a servant. It's so often we're the we're not the one who's exalted. And that's what it comes back down to is when we look at that, if you pull this out, you can pull that out and go, well, they shouldn't go. Well, that's not, that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not what it's going down to. That goes back to all of the, the rest of what he's talking about. It's, it's a matter of heart. They liked their position and they liked to be called these things. It gave them, it boosted their ego. Mm -hmm. It gave them a sense of, of worth. And if you get to the place where that's what you, I'm not going to use names here, but I'm going to tell you a story about a person that I knew who was a pastor. Now, it doesn't say pastor here. There's other spots in the Bible where it talks about pastor, but there's nowhere in here that it says, you know, but you can go along those same lines and go uh, with this guy. He liked to be called pastor. He wanted everybody to know he was a pastor, and he demanded respect because he was a pastor. Mm -hmm. And you better show the man of God respect. I remember him telling a story to a guy about, oh, we'll get to this uh, sometime this year, but in the Old Testament, you've got, uh, I think it's Elijah. Elijah comes into town, and there's some kids that make fun of him and start calling him Baldy Baldy. And she bears come out of the woods and maul these kids. And 
you're like, what? Now, we'll go more into detail of that story when we get there because it's a really crazy story. But he would use that as an example of, you better respect the man of God or God's going to get you. And we went somewhere with somebody one time, and, and I remember him, the guy, you know, the guy wasn't a part of his church. The guy was, uh, wasn't even a part of the same denomination. And the guy says, so what should I call you? Should I call you uh, brother or mister or, I'm not going to say the, the name. I don't want anybody to, you know, to put those together. But, and he said, you call me pastor. And this guy told me afterwards, he said, I'm not comfortable calling him pastor. He's not my pastor. And so, but that goes back to what Jesus is saying here. It's not the title. It's what you get out of the title yeah. or what you give to the title. I'm not saying don't respect pastors, don't respect um, teachers or elders, because the Bible teaches us to give them honor, to give them double honor at times. To, I mean, the Bible teaches us respect for those in positions of authority. Uh, Christ is very, very clear about that. But we don't give that person more respect than what you give God. You don't put them up on a pedestal. We realize that people are human and people are faulty and people are going to make mistakes. And we see the other side of that as well, where if, you're, if you hold so much pride by your title, um, then this is a warning to you that your heart's not right, that you're, you care more about the position and the power that it gives you than you care about who that position and that power comes from. And um, I think every position in church should be that way. If I could suddenly no longer be pastor, what would I do? Well, if my heart's right, then it shouldn't change anything. I'll continue to serve in whatever capacity God has called me to. I'll continue to attend church wherever God has called me to. Um, if somebody is a praise and worship leader and all of a sudden uh, they're asked to step down, and they get angry and leave the church over that, they need to question and begin to look at their hearts and see, are they looking at the right things? And so I think a lot of this, this woe to the scribes and Pharisees is, can be a woe to us today. It's that human nature that we've talked about over and over. And theirs is going to get the best of them. We're going to see that um, later on this week. We're going to talk about that some more and see where that leads. I think... Uh... You know, we're we're reading through this, and I think something that's important to go over is we we see now um, this last type of before before we start getting into some other stuff, we see this last type of parable that we come across in Jesus's teachings, which is um, and and it's something that's actually kind of we, we see a little bit later um, in I think chapter twenty six maybe, but it's um, the idea that we need to be watchful and 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 ready and there's there's this thing that that i see when we when we see this parable so right now we see this one of the um you know the the bridegroom who's coming for uh who, who's on a journey and he's a long way off and you know we have the 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 woman with the the lamps and we have some who bring oil and some who, who don't, and when it's time for them to go, the ladies who don't have oil are af asking for it, and they, you know, so go buy some, go get your own oil. So they go out, and they miss everything that's happening. 
And there's a couple of things that I see here. There's some conversations that I see happen a lot about the the second coming and, and things like that. And you, you hear a lot of people who who talk about when Christ is coming back as as if it needs to be shouted about and as if it needs to be, you know, kind of constantly drilled into people. And I think a thing that we miss is that people who don't know Jesus don't believe he's coming back. I think yelling at people to be prepared is is missing the point. You can tell somebody, hey, you should be bringing your oil, but if they're not ready to bring it, they're not going to. Well, and I think the interesting about that story is when Jesus is actually saying this, he's saying this to the 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 Pharisees. He's saying it to the Israelites. Um, this is all a, a warning to them. So when we, if we take that uh, parable about the wise and the foolish virgins and talking about being ready and having the lamps and all of that, none of these would have been unbelievers. Right. Out of those ten, those aren't you know those aren't five Christians and then five heathens. Yeah, it's ten Christians. It's this this would this would be or in, ten in our Israelites sense today, in this. Yeah, yeah. In, in our sense today would be ten Christians and theirs back then that would have been ten from the tribe of Israel. But what they were doing was they were getting lax and thinking just because they were Israelites was their key to heaven. And we can be the same way as this translates directly to us and we can be the same way and think, okay, well, I accepted Jesus. I'm I'm in. But he's very clear here with the Israelites and and it translates directly to us as well as it's more than just being in and being ready, but it's using all the resources that God has given us uh, to expand his kingdom, not our own. Um. And to be ready, it's it's a warning to us that we need to, we don't know when it's going to happen, so we need to be vigilant about it. Not that we shout at everybody else, but it's that we're worried about what we're doing and we're doing the right things. Right, and it it, it all comes back to this idea that it, it really, a lot of this, a lot of what Jesus is teaching is coming back to the idea, and you, you brought it up this morning, is that the Pharisees had no love for anyone. Everything that they did was was for self gain. It was it was selfish reasons, selfish motivation, and it was yep. selfish selfish actions that they were taking. But then they had you know the the long robes with the long tassels, and they sat in the places of honor, and they prayed on the corners out loud, and all the things that they did that were supposed to be the things that made them holy or righteous were were a show, and they were really you know they boasted about their knowledge of the law, and they could keep the commandments and all these things. And none of that was what mattered. You know, when we, we see later on in, in, in this where there's a, or maybe it was earlier on, there's a lady who washes, washes Jesus's feet with this alabaster jar of perfume. And they kind of chastise her for it because they say that that could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. And he said, the poor you'll have with you forever. The Son of God is only here for a short time. What she's doing is the right thing, you know. And because she's doing that out of out of the lack. She's doing it because it's the last thing she has. It's the only thing she can do. And they're looking at it and they're saying, well, this, this isn't a holy action. This isn't what should be done. Because they would have sold it and, and boasted about how the money was going to the poor. And Actually, when we talk about that story... It wasn't the Pharisees that were being critical of them. 
It was the disciples. You're right. It, it was, was. And it, it's, it, but it's, it's still it the, same the same thing. It goes back to the same point where we, we have to look at, we have to understand our motivations and we can't be lax and thinking that, well, I've got this beat, that, that we always need to be looking to increase the kingdom of God and not ourselves. There are, this is something that we're going to get to later on as we get further into the New Testament, but our salvation isn't a one and done thing. It's a process that we're going through. And I think a lot of times we get hung up and we go, we have been saved instead of we are being saved. And it's because that's a, if you're trying to talk to somebody who's not in the fold, who's not, you know, a Christian who's walking this, they're not going to understand that. And, And so it's really easy to ask somebody, have you been saved? And, and it, it's an easier term to get through, but I think that it's one of those things where we, we use a word for such a long time and that meaning can shift and we forget that our salvation's a process. And part of that process is us understanding that we have to live out these commandments that we've been given. We have to live out love God, love people. And when we focus things in on ourselves, when we focus things in on that's not how I would have done it, when we focus things in on call me teacher, call me rabbi. When we, when we focus on ourselves, we're completely missing that work of salvation in ourselves. We're stopping that process. And it's something that it's really important to keep yourself mindful of those things. It's, you don't, I mean, we don't live in a society today where we can give up our job. I mean, we, we can, we would be able to survive. God provides, but we work, you know, we have jobs, we have responsibilities we have lives that we're living but we have to be mindful that we're looking to love people mm-hmm. and that's not always well i'm you know hand making coats for homeless people that can be i treated someone at the store today who was rude to me with kindness because maybe they're having a really tough day and that's what they need Sometimes it is just the smile, the handshake, the nod, the extra dollar that you're tipping, whatever it is. Sometimes it's just the kind thing that you say to somebody that you might not be in the mood to say. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's what it is because when you, look at, when you look at who the Pharisees are and when you look at how the disciples act in this moment that we're talking about with the woman with the perfume, those aren't the people that you would think of. They're not acting in the way of, well, maybe I should just go out of my way to be a little nicer to this person right now. And, you know, that's not to say that Jesus came to preach random acts of kindness. That's not what this is about. But I think that it's important to remember that we aren't the most important thing in our lives. It's our acts show our heart. What What you do and how you act shows what you believe and what you prefer. So if everything you're doing is for self gain motivated by self, then it shows that you have a very inward-focused heart, which is what Jesus speaks against. Um, because the greatest in the kingdom of God are going to be servants. Mm-hmm. They're going to prefer others over themselves. And so if and, and our natural inclination is self-motivation, it is focused in on ourself. It's, it's, it's acts of selfishness. Um, that's, that's just part of the human nature that comes from the fall of man. Um, and so I think that these acts, it's not just about random acts of kindness, but it's, it's just about 
When Jesus saw someone, he saw straight to their heart. When he looked at the Pharisees, he saw their motivations. He saw what drove them. He knew what they were made of. He looked at others and he could see their need. No matter what they said or no matter what they were going through, he could see their need. And we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because God still sees people's needs today. And so it's that, it's that old saying that hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you go to the store and, and somebody snaps at you, well, that may not even have anything to do with you. That may be a hurt that they're going through. And what they need at that moment is not for somebody to snap back, but they need a kind word. Mm-hmm. Without God and without the Holy Spirit, we're not able to provide that. And so I think this is a good place where when we come to the end of chapter 25, um, it kind of sums the whole thing up from where we started, where we started talking about motivations. We started talking about the greatest command, and that's love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And we end right there at verse 25, talking about the Son of Man will judge the nations. And it kind of brings that back in because he's saying, you know, to the righteous, you fed me, you clothed me, you took care of me. He says to the unrighteous, you ignored me and you didn't do these things. And both of them say, when did we do these? We didn't even know. And he says, whenever you do to the least of these. So when we're treating people, if we treat everybody like they were Jesus, you know, not giving them a godly honor is not what I'm saying, but if you, if you were to pretend you were walking down the road and you saw Jesus sitting there thirsty and you knew it was Jesus, would you do whatever it took to get him a drink of water? Yeah. Well, if we will look at people in that same light and go, ah, you know, those that are less fortunate, those that are down on their luck, those that are in need of a blessing, if we are that blessing to them, we're blessing God in his kingdom by doing it, if that makes any sense at all. Hopefully it does. Well, I would say that we've probably uh, rambled on a little bit. Oh, uh, not to say that it's not a good ramble. That's, uh, that's what we do. That's right. Um, but we're going we're gonna to save the rest of this for, for Thursday's episode. Uh, we just want to let you all know that we're getting back on the train. We are going to record for Thursday. Um, we're going to be back in Genesis next week. We're excited about that. We're going to get back into some more narrative-focused um, scripture. And uh, we just hope that y'all are having a great week and that y'all are blessed. God bless everyone, and keep up the fight. Keep reading. Thank you for listening to the Fully Equipped Podcast. You can find us on iTunes or Spotify, as well as www.fullyequipped.church. If you have any questions, please email us at podcast at fullyequipped.church. Have a blessed day.